The Boots at the Holly Tree Inn by Charles Dickens, eighteen twelve to eighteen seventy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Tomlinson. Where had he been in his time? He repeated when I asked him the question. Lord, he had been everywhere. And what had he been? Bless you, he had been everything you could mention, almost. Seen a good deal? Why, of course he had. I should say so, he could assure me, if I only knew about a twentieth part of what had come in his way. Why, it would be easier for him, he expected, to tell what he hadn't seen than what he had. Ah, a deal it would. What was the curious thing he had seen? Well, he didn't know. He couldn't momentarily name what was the curiousest thing he had seen, unless it was a unicorn, and he had seen him once at a fair. But supposing a young gentleman, not eight year old, was to run away with a fine young woman of seven, might I think that a queer start? Certainly. Then that was a start as himself had had his blessed eyes on, and he had cleaned the shoes they ran away in, and they were so little he couldn't get his hand into em. Master Harry Warmer's father, you see, he lived at the Elmses, down away by Shooter's Hill there, six or seven miles from Lunnon. He was a gentleman of spirit, and good-looking, and held his head up when he walked, and had what you call fire about him. He wrote poetry, and he rode, and he ran, and he cricketed, and he danced, and he acted, and he'd done it all equally beautiful. He was uncommon proud of Master Harry, as was his only child, but he didn't spoil him neither. He was a gentleman that had a will of his own and an eye of his own, and that would be minded. Consequently, though he made quite a companion of the fine bright boy, and was delighted to see him so fond of reading his fairy books, and was never tired of hearing him say my name is Norval, or hearing him sing his songs about young May Moons is Beaming Love, and when he, as adores three, has left but the name and that, still he kept the command over the child, and the child was a child, and it's to be wished more of em was. But how did Boots happen to know all this? Why, through being under-gardener? Of course, he couldn't be under-gardener, and he always about, in the summer-time, near the windows on the lawn, a-mowing, and sweeping, and weeding, and pruning, and this and that, without getting acquainted with the ways of the family. Even supposing Master Harry hadn't come to him one morning early, and said, Cobbs, how should you spell Nora if you was asked? And then began cutting it in print all over the fence. He couldn't say that he had taken particular notice of children before that, but really it was pretty to see them two mites going about the place together, deep in love. And the courage of the boy, bless your soul, he'd have thrown off his little hat and tucked up his little sleeves and gone in at a lion. He would, if they had happened to meet one, and she had been frightened of him. 
One day he stops, along with her, where Boots was hoeing weeds in the gravel, and says, speaking up, Cobbs, he says, I like you. Do you, sir? I'm proud to hear it. Yes, I do, Cobbs. Why do I like you, do you think, Cobbs? Don't know, Master Harry, I am sure. Because Nora likes you, Cobbs. Indeed, sir. That's very gratifying. Gratifying, Cobbs. It's better than millions of the brightest diamonds to be liked by Nora. Certainly, sir. Would you like another situation, Cobbs? Well, sir, I shouldn't object if it was a good un. Then, Cobbs, says he, you shall be our head gardener when we are married. And he tucks her in her little sky-blue mantle under his arm and walks away. Boots could assure me that it was better than a picter and equal to a play to see them babies with their long bright curling hair their sparkling eyes and their beautiful light tread a rambling about the garden deep in love boots was of opinion that the birds believed they were birds and kept up with them singing to please them sometimes they would creep under the tulip tree and would sit there with their arms round one another's necks and their soft cheeks touching a reading about the prince and the dragon, and the good and bad enchanters, and the king's fair daughter. Sometimes he would hear them planning about a house in a forest, keeping bees and a cow, and living entirely on milk and honey. Once he came upon them by the pond, and heard Master Harry say, Adorable Nora, kiss me, and say you love me to distraction, or I'll jump in head foremost and Boots made no question he would have done it if she hadn't complied. On the whole, Boots said it had a tendency to make him feel that he was in love himself, only he didn't exactly know who with. Cobbs, said Master Harry one evening, when Cobbs was watering the flowers, I am going on a visit, this present midsummer, to my grandmamma's at York. Are you indeed, sir? I hope you'll have a pleasant time. I am going into Yorkshire myself when I leave here. Are you going to your grandmamma's, Cobbs? No, sir, I haven't got such a thing. Not a grandmamma, Cobbs? No, sir. The boy looked on at the watering of the flowers for a little while, and then said, I should be very glad indeed to go, Cobbs. Nora's going. You'll be all right then, sir, says Cobbs with your beautiful sweetheart by your side. Cobbs, returned the boy, flushing, I never let anybody joke about it when I can prevent them. It wasn't a joke, sir, says Cobbs, with humility. Wasn't so meant. I am glad of that, Cobbs, because I like you, you know, and you're going to live with us, Cobbs. Sir, what do you think my grandmamma gives me when I go down there? I couldn't so much as make a guess, sir. A Bank of England five-pound note, Cobbs. Phew, says Cobbs. That's a spanking sum of money, Master Harry. A person could do a great deal with such a sum of money as that, couldn't a person, Cobbs. I believe you, sir. Cobbs, said the boy, I'll tell you a secret. At Nora's house they have been joking her about me, and pretending to laugh at our being engaged, pretending to make game of it, Cobbs. Such, sir, says Cobbs, 
is the depravity of human nature. The boy, looking exactly like his father, stood for a few minutes with his glowing face towards the sunset, and then departed with, Good night, Cobbs. I'm going in. If I was to ask Boots how it happened that he was a-going to leave that place just at the present time, well, he couldn't rightly answer me. He did suppose he might have stayed there till now if he had been anyways inclined. But, you see, he was younger then, and he wanted change. That's what he wanted, change. Mr. Warmers, he said to him when he gave him notice of his intentions to leave, Cobbs, he says, have you anything to complain of? I make the inquiry, because if I find that any of my people really has anything to complain of, I wish to make it right if I can. No, sir, says Cobbs, thanking you, sir, I find myself well situated here as I could hope to be anywheres. The truth is, sir, that I'm a-going to seek my fortune. Oh, indeed, Cobbs, he says, I hope you may find it. And Boots could assure me, which he did, touching his hair with his boot jack, as a salute in the way of his present calling, that he hadn't found it yet. Well, sir, Boots left the Elmses when his time was up, and Master Harry, he went down to the old ladies at York, which old lady would have given that child the teeth out of her own head, if she had any. She was so wrapped up in him. What does that infant do? For infant you may call him, and be within the mark, cut away from that old lady's with his Nora, on an expedition to go to Gretna Green and be married. Sir, Boots was at this identical holly tree inn, having left it several times to better himself, but always come back through one thing or another, when, one summer afternoon, the coach dries up, and out of the coach gets them two children. The guard says to our governor, I don't quite make out these little passengers, but the young gentleman's words was that they was to be brought here. The young gentleman gets out, hands his lady out, gives the guard something for himself, says to our governor, We're to stop here tonight, please. Sitting room and two bedrooms will be required. Chops and cherry pudding for two. And tucks her in her little sky-blue mantle under his arm, and walks into the house much bolder than brass. Boots leaves me to judge what the amazement of that establishment was, when these two tiny creatures all alone, by themselves, was marched into the angel, much more so when he, who had seen them without their seeing him, gives the governor his views upon the expedition they were upon. Cobbs, says the governor, if this is so, I must set off myself to York and quiet their friends' minds in which case you must keep your eye upon M and humour M till I come back. But before I take these measures, Cobbs, I should wish you to find from themselves whether your opinions is correct. Sir, to you, says Cobbs, that shall be done directly. So Boots goes upstairs to the angel, and there he finds Master Harry on an enormous sofa, immense at any time, but looking like the great bed of ware, compared with him, a-drying the eyes of Miss Nora with his pocket-handkerchief. Their little legs was entirely off the ground, of course, and it really is not possible for Boots to express to me how small them children looked. "'It's Cobbs! It's Cobbs!' cried Master Harry, 
and comes running to him on t'other side and catching hold of his t'other hand and they both jump for joy i see you are getting out sir says cobbs i thought it was you i thought i couldn't be mistaken in your height and figure what's the object of your journey sir matrimonial we're going to be married cobbs at gretna green returned the boy we have run away on purpose nora has been in rather low spirits cobbs but she'll be happy now we have found you to be our friend thank you sir and thank you miss says cobbs for your good opinion did you bring any luggage with you sir if i will believe boots when he gives me his word and honour upon it the lady had got a parasol a smelling bottle a round and a half of cold buttered toast eight peppermint drops and a hairbrush seemingly a doll's the gentleman had got about half a dozen yards of string a knife three or four sheets of writing paper folded up surprising small a orange and a chainy mug with his name upon it what may be the exact nature of your plans sir says cobbs to go on replied the boy which the courage of that boy was something wonderful in the morning and be married to-morrow just so sir says cobbs would it meet your view sir if i was to accompany you when cobbs said this they both jumped for joy again and cried out oh yes yes cobbs yes well sir says cobbs if you'll excuse me having the freedom to give an opinion what i should recommend would be this i am acquainted with a phony sir which put in a phaeton that i could borrow would take you and mrs harry warmers junior myself driving if you approved to the end of your journey in a very short space of time i am not altogether sure sir that this pony will be at liberty to-morrow but even if you had to wait over to-morrow for him it might be worth your while as to the small account here sir in case you was to find yourself running at all short that don't signify because i am a part proprietor in this inn and it could stand over boots assures me that when they clapped their hands and jumped for joy again and called him good cobbs and dear cobbs and bent across him to kiss one another in the delight of their confiding hearts he felt himself the meanest rascal for deceiving em that ever was born is there anything you want just at present sir says cobbs mortally ashamed of himself we should like some cakes after dinner answered master harry folding his arms putting out one leg and looking straight at him and two apples and jam with dinner we should like to have toast and water but nora has always been accustomed to half a glass of currant wine at dessert and so have i it shall be ordered at the bar sir says cobbs and away he went boots has the feeling as fresh upon him this moment of speaking as he had then that he would far rather have had it out in half a dozen rounds with the governor than have combined with him and that he wished with all his heart there was any impossible place where two babies could make an impossible marriage and live impossibly happy ever afterward however 
as it couldn't be he went into the governor's plans and the governor set off for york in half an hour the way in which the women of that house without exception every one of them married and single took to that boy when they had heard the story boots considers surprising it was as much as he could do to keep em from dashing into the room and kissing him they climbed up all sorts of places at the risk of their lives to look at him through a pane of glass they were seven deep at the keyhole they was out of their minds about him and his bold spirit in the evening boots went into the room to see how the runaway couple was getting on the gentleman was at the window seat supporting the lady in his arms she had tears upon her face and was lying very tired and half asleep with her head upon his shoulder mrs harry warmers junior fatigued sir says cobbs yes she is tired cobbs but she is not used to be away from home and she has been in low spirits again cobbs do you think you could bring a biffin please i ask your pardon sir says cobbs what was it you i think a norfolk biffin would rouse her cobbs she is very fond of them boots withdrew in search of the required restorative and when he brought it in the gentleman handed it to the lady and fed her with a spoon and took a little himself the lady being heavy with sleep and rather cross what should you think sir says cobbs of a chamber candlestick the gentleman approved the chambermaid went first up the great staircase the lady in her sky-blue mantle followed gallantly escorted by the gentleman the gentleman embraced her at her door and retired to his own apartment where boots softly locked him in boots couldn't but feel with increased acuteness what a base deceiver he was when they consulted him at breakfast they had ordered sweet milk and water and toast and currant jelly overnight about the pony it really was as much as he could do he doesn't mind confessing to me to look them two things in the face and think what a wicked old father of lies he had grown up to be howsomever he went on a lying like a trojan about the pony he told him that it did so unfortunately happen that the pony was half clipped you see and that he couldn't be taken out in that state for fear it should strike to his inside but that he'd be finished clipping in the course of the day and that tomorrow morning at eight o'clock the phaeton would be ready boots view of the whole case looking back on it in my room is that mrs harry warmers junior was beginning to give in she hadn't had her hair curled when she went to bed and she didn't seem quite up to brushing it herself and it's getting in her eyes put her out but nothing put out master harry he sat behind his breakfast cup a tearing away at the jelly as if he had been his own father after breakfast boots is inclined to consider they drawed soldiers at least he knows that many such was found in the fireplace all on horseback in the course of the morning master harry rang the bell it was surprising how that there boy did carry on and said in a sprightly way cobbs is there any good walks in this neighbourhood yes sir says cobbs there's love's lane get out with you cobbs that was that there boy's expression you're joking 
begging your pardon, sir, says Cobbs, there really is Love's Lane, and a pleasant walk it is, and proud shall I be to show it to yourself and Mrs. Harry Warmers, Jr. Nora, dear, says Master Harry, this is curious, we really ought to see Love Lane. Put on your bonnet, my sweetest darling, and we will go there with Cobbs. Boots leaves me to judge what a beast he felt himself to be when that young pair told him, as they all three jogged along together, that they had made up their minds to give him two thousand guineas a year as head gardener on account of his being so true a friend to him. Boots could have wished at that moment that the earth would have opened and swallowed him up. He felt so mean, with their beaming eyes a-looking at him and believing him. Well, sir, he turned the conversation as well as he could, and he took M down Love Lane to the water meadows, and there Master Harry would have drowned himself in half a moment more a getting out a water lily for her, but nothing daunted that boy. Well, sir, they was tired out, all being so new and strange to em. They was tired, as tired could be, and they lay down on the bank of daisies, like the children in the wood, leastways meadows, and fell asleep. Boots don't know, perhaps I do, but never mind, it don't signify either way, why it made a man fit to make a fool of himself to see them two pretty babies a-lying there in the clear still day, not dreaming half so hard when they was asleep, as they had done when they was awake. But, Lord, when you come to think of yourself, you know, and what a game you have been up to ever since you was in your own cradle, and what a poor sort of chap you are, and how it's always either yesterday with you, or tomorrow, and never today. That's where it is. Well, sir, they woke up at last, and then one thing was getting pretty clear to Boots, namely, that Mrs. Harry Warmus's junior's temper was on the move. When Master Harry took her round the waist, she said he teased her so, and when he says, Nora, my young May Moon, your Harry tease you, she tells him, yes, and I want to go home. A biled fowl and baked bread and butter pudding brought Mrs. Warmers up a little, but Boots could have wished, he must privately own to me, to have seen her more sensible of the voice of love and less abandoning of herself to currents. However, Master Harry, he kept up, and his noble heart was as fond as ever. Mrs. Warmers turned very sleepy about dusk and began to cry. Therefore, Mrs. Warmers went off to bed, as per yesterday, and Master Harry, ditto, repeated. About eleven or twelve at night comes back the governor in a chaise, along with Mr. Warmers and an elderly lady. Mr. Warmers looks amused and very serious, both at once, and says to our missus, We are much indebted to you, ma'am, for your kind care of our little children, which we can never sufficiently acknowledge. Pray, ma'am, where is my boy? Our missus says, Cobbs has the dear child in charge, sir. Cobbs, show forty. Then he says to Cobbs, Ah, Cobbs, I am glad to see you. I understood you was here. And Cobbs says, 
Yes, sir, your most obedient, sir. I may be surprised to hear Boots say it, perhaps, but Boots assures me that his heart beat like a hammer going upstairs. I beg your pardon, sir, says he, while unlocking the door. I do hope you are not angry with Master Harry, for Master Harry is a fine boy, sir, and will do you credit and honour. And Boots signifies to me that, if the fine boy's father had contradicted him in the daring state of mind in which he then was, he thinks that he should have fetched him a crack and taken the consequences. But Mr. Warmers only says, No, Cobbs, no, my good fellow, thank you. And the door being open goes in. Boots goes in too, holding the light, and he sees Mr. Warmers go up to the bedside, bend gently down and kiss the little sleeping face. Then he stands looking at it for a minute, looking wonderfully like it. They do say he ran away with Mrs. Warmers, and then he gently shakes the little shoulder. Harry, my dear boy, Harry! Master Harry starts up and looks at him, looks at Cobbs too. Such is the honour of that might that he looks at Cobbs to see whether he has brought him into trouble. I'm not angry, my child. I only want you to dress yourself and come home. Yes, Pa. Master Harry dresses himself quickly. His breast begins to swell when he has nearly finished, and it swells more and more as he stands, at last, a-looking at his father. His father standing a-looking at him, the quiet image of him. Please, may I, the spirit of that little creature, and the way he kept his rising tears down, please, dear Pa, may I kiss Nora before I go? You may, my child. So he takes Master Harry in his hand, and Boots leads the way with the candle, and they come to that other bedroom, where the elderly lady is seated by the bed, and poor little Mrs. Harry Warmers, Jr., is fast asleep. There the father lifts the child up to the pillow, and he lays his little face down for an instant by the little warm face of poor unconscious little Mrs. Harry Warmers, Jr., and gently draws it to him. A sight so touching to the chambermaids who were peeping through the door that one of them called out, It's a shame to part em. But this chambermaid was always, as Boots informs us, a soft-hearted one. Not that there was any harm in that girl. Far from it. Finally, Boots says, that's all about it. Mr. Warmers drove away in the chaise, having hold of Master Harry's hand. The elderly lady and Mrs. Warmers, Jr., that was never to be, she married a captain long afterward, and died in India, went off next day. In conclusion, Boots puts it to me whether I hold with him in two opinions. Firstly, that there are not many couples on the way to be married who are half as innocent of guile as those two children. Secondly, that it would be a jolly good thing for a great many couples on their way to be married if they could only be stopped in time and brought back separately. End of The Boots at the Holly Tree Inn by Charles Dickens Recording by Peter Tomlinson